This is Marcus Sheridan, author of the revised and updated second edition of They Ask, You Answer, A Revolutionary Approach to Inbound Sales, Content Marketing, and Today's Digital Consumer. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you time. This show is a labor of love that I do in my spare time. My day job is running a marketing agency where we work with manufacturers to help them grow. If that sounds like your company and you're serious about growth, check out our guide to lead generation for manufacturers on our website, salesartillery.com, or Google lead generation for manufacturers, and you'll find the guide atop the organic results. Now, the number one worry I hear from listeners is that they feel they aren't reading enough books to be more successful. So, special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Blinkist, which is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just a few minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. You can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast. I also have a link to it at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Marcus Sheridan back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the revised and updated second edition of They Ask, You Answer, a revolutionary approach to inbound sales, content marketing, and today's digital consumer, published by Wiley. Called a web marketing guru by the New York Times, the story of how Marcus was able to save his swimming pool company, River Pools, from the economic crash of 2008, has been featured in multiple books, publications, and stories around the world. Since this achievement, Marcus has become a highly sought-after global speaker and consultant in the digital sales and marketing space, working with hundreds of businesses and brands alike to become the most trusted voice of their industry. When the first edition of They Ask You Answer was published in 2017, it was rated by Mashable as the number one marketing book to read that year, and Forbes listed it as one of 11 marketing books every CMO should read. In 2018, Marcus's marketing firm, The Sales Lion, merged with Impact, establishing one of the most successful digital and sales marketing agencies in the country. And interesting facts... Marcus speaks fluent Spanish, and in high school, he was the captain of the football, wrestling, and baseball teams. Marcus, congratulations on the new edition of They Ask, You Answer, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. 
Gracias, amigo. Now, this is cool, man. I tell you what, Douglas, it's so great to be back here. And uh, your your enthusiasm is contagious. I love it. Well, that's uh, it's kind of hard to conceal how I feel about you, Marcus. And I just want to tell a quick story to, just so the listener will know what they're dealing with here. <laughs> when I interviewed you almost three years ago about the first edition of They Ask, You Answer, I finished the interview and my colleague, Pete, he said... Who did you just interview here in the office? And I said, oh, that was Marcus Sheridan. And he said, and I quote, dude, you have got a serious man crush on him. (laughs) And that was the origin of the Douglas Burdett man crush list, which you are high atop. And it wasn't just then, though. So I just want to get that out there, okay? You know, am I I guilty of uh, having a man crush on you? Yes. But (laughs) I first discovered you in 2011, I think. I was doing, I was, we were getting ready to buy HubSpot, as a matter of fact. We were going to transition over to that. I was doing it, man. There's dinosaurs walking the earth. 2011, digitally speaking, that is. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I and I was doing. I looked up the word HubSpot review, and I found this website of a pool guy in Virginia, which is where I am. And I uh, started reading it, and then uh, next thing I knew, I was going back, and I downloaded your big ebook, and I read that thing. And then, I uh, guess less than a year later, I went to the first inbound conference in 2012, and I think there was like a party for all the HubSpot partners. And I, again, this sounds like a romance, I then spotted Marcus Sheridan in the room. I did a beeline over, and that's when I first met you, and I was so excited, and you know, uh, I'll always think of you as the sales lion, but uh, I, I know you've, you've you've merged your company with Bob's uh, Bob Ruffalo's firm, uh, Impact, and that yeah. seems to be going uh, really well. But um, Marcus, this is only the second time I've interviewed an author twice about the same book because uh, you know this is the second edition. The other book that so far has been by Aaron Ross and Jason Lemke called From Impossible to Inevitable, all about hyper-growth companies. Again, one of my favorite books. This is one of my favorite books. I've given this book to uh, many other people. And when you're the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you, you keep track of things like you know the fact that the the guest was the captain of the football, baseball, and <laughs> wrestling teams. But also, I have two copies of your book. I have the first edition and the second edition right here on my table. And I see that uh, the f- this one has 67 chapters. It's well over 100 additional pages. The first one was 44 chapters. And uh, you've added entirely new sections on video and uh, websites, which we're going to talk about. And one exception here, and I'm going to stop talking, but normally there's an excerpt from the beginning of a book that I like to quote, and then we get into the questions, as this is one of my favorite, favorite books, I'm now going to quote the entire book. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. I wouldn't want to do that to my to my listeners. But Marcus, talk to us about why you why you came out with the with the second edition. When I found out about it, I was so excited. And of course, you know, I, I had you on. And then fortunately, our, our mutual friend Kathleen Slattery Bluth, uh, who was at Impact, uh, she was able to help facilitate this. But what? How did the second edition happen? You know, it, first off, I, I'd say the biggest reason why it happened is because. The book has continued to gain in popularity since it was written. So, you know, you, you see this a lot, Douglas. I mean, you know it as well as anybody. Lots of books. You can, with a good launch, 
you can do well for the first six months. But the question is, what do you do after the first year, right? And now it, it, it did better the second year than it did the first year. And um, it did equally as well the third year, right? So it's gone extremely well in that regard. And so I saw there was momentum and there was people that were really, really starting to embrace the philosophy, this framework of they ask, you answer. But then what happened is people said, so what are your thoughts on video, Marcus? Uh-huh. And it bothered me that I didn't have video in the first one, but it when the first one came out, it was right around the same time with my agency that I said, hey, we're going to teach companies how to do video in-house, which hadn't been done really by any inbound agencies. Mm-hmm. And that has been an amazing journey. And on that journey, we learned a whole bunch about the types of videos that do and do not move the sales needle. And so from that, you have this entire section on video. And it's not like most video books you read or sections you read. I mean, it's very specific types of videos that almost nobody is creating that move the sales needle. So there was that. There was nothing on websites in the first one, mm-hmm. which really bothered me. Right? And I'm like, that needs to be there. And just some of the like the trends that are around the turn. And then finally, just I get a lot of questions about implementation. People are doing it all over the world, embracing this framework. And although I had some of that in the first book, I needed more in the second to address some of those. But can we do it this way, Marcus? Or can we try this? Or what do you think about that? And I wanted to, I wanted to get that out there. Mm-hmm. So for those that aren't familiar with uh, you and the book, explain the philosophy of They Ask, You Answer. So here's the super quick 101, right? And you mentioned this. I started a swimming pool company in 2001. Things were going okay up until the market collapsed in 2008. And we were in trouble. We thought we were going to lose the business. And that's when I started to really look at digital and inbound and content, not stuff. And it really well, you were kind of at the end of your rope. You you were Yeah, I was going out of business. I was going out of business. We, yeah. were going to, we were going to file bankruptcy. And so because of that, I was looking for anything that I could do. And I stumbled across HubSpot's website and it made sense to me. And so what I then said is like, okay guys, to, to my company, I'm like, so here's what we need to do. We need to obsess over the questions that we're hearing every day, and we just need to be willing to address them on the website. And so, of course, I called it They Ask You Answer. And to make a long story short, not only did it work, but it became the most traffic swimming pool website in the world, saved the business, and it was going so well that I started to write about it on a separate blog, to your point earlier, uh, later on that year in 2009 called The Sales Lion. And what was just a blog about my thoughts on sales, marketing, and business, and what we were doing digital, that grew in momentum. An agency came from that. And so the two companies are still going strong, still a pool guy, but I'm more of a overlooking, somewhat silent partner at River Pools. But we've done so well since the time that we embraced They Ask You Answer that we also started manufacturing fiberglass pools. So we were just a, an installer in Virginia, but we got so many leads outside the area all over North America that we said, geez, we, we should take advantage of this. And so now we've got dealers all over the country. We started franchising. We have river pools right now. We have six river pools franchises around the U.S., and that's growing literally every month. It's unbelievable, all because of a simple philosophy. So what is the philosophy? The philosophy of they ask you answer, in a nutshell, I would call it three things, Douglas. Number one, 
an obsession with the way buyers think specific to the questions, the fears, the worries, the concerns, the issues they have during that research and buying process. That's number one. Number two, and a lot of companies forget two and three. Number two, it's an obsession with the way people want to buy and the willingness to sell it that way. And I'm talking about the actual transaction because a lot of the disruptors in industries are simply changing little components about the purchase, right? And so like an example of that could be Domino's with their touchless pizza ordering app. That's an example of it, right? And if anybody's not used Domino's app, it's unbelievable. It's so far ahead of any of their competitors. And it's pretty much clickless, which is crazy. And that's making the actual transaction experience easier. And then the third component is the willingness to teach it the way the buyer wants to be taught. And what that essentially means is just hearing the questions and being willing to answer them isn't always enough because you might want to read it, but somebody else might want to watch it. And, you know, I've been dealing with now for certainly quite a few years, companies telling me, yeah, but video is not my thing. And the problem is never in this history. It's not about you. (laughs) Yeah. Never had in the history of the world has a buyer, as a consumer said, you know, (sighs) video is just not their thing. And so that's okay. I'm just going to read this article instead, even though I hate reading. (laughs) Nobody's ever said that before, right? They Mm -hmm. don't care. The marketplace only cares about the marketplace. And that's not bad. It just means that we as business owners, as marketers, et cetera, we have to get over our opinions and we can't let our opinions screw up smart business. Mm -hmm. So Marcus, talk more about this massive buying shift uh, that has occurred and that I think a lot of people are still, companies are still uh, not aware of or they're, they're in not denial. Aware. Yeah. They're and not aware. and, and also the, quick... the blur between sales and marketing that's going on. Yeah. Because they're, they're, those are inextricably connected, right? I mean, they mm-hmm. are, they are one and the same, completely overlapped. So this comes down to, and, I, and every talk I give, and, and the book starts with this too, it starts with this shift of zero moment of truth and 70%. And zero moment of truth is the first time a prospect contacts you um, through maybe filling out a form of your website or calling you or meeting you at some industry event. But it's essentially the moment you you know that somebody might want to spend business with you. You got their name. You know they might want to buy from you. And what we know from the studies is that today, on average, over 70% of the buying decision is made before zero moment of truth. So in other words, before they shake your hand, they're roughly, on average, 70% home. Now, somebody listening to this might say, well, I don't think it's like that in my space. And it doesn't really matter whether it's 65 or 95 or 45. What we can all agree on, and I've never seen a business that was the exception to this, if they were at all self-aware, is that if we went back 20 years, then we said, what percentage of the buying decision was made before someone talked to a salesperson 20 years ago? You're probably somewhere for the average business around 20 to 30%, right? Yeah. And I think the, the number is still increasing Every day. So let's say it's 50. Let's say it's 75. Every it's going to be more. And if that number's true, Douglas, it mean, it's a pill that we've got to swallow because the biggest pill, it means that marketing has a greater influence on the actual sale than the sales team does. Now, if you talk to most sales team, and the, the, even though I'm, I'm known as a as – I wrote a sales and marketing book. A lot of people know me for my marketing ideas, but I spend the majority of my time teaching companies – 
teaching workshops specifically to sales and marketing teams because the biggest issue that you see by far from marketers in the world, the number one email that I've received over the course of 10 years about writing and talking about this stuff is from marketers that are saying, I believe in this stuff, Marcus. I believe in digital. I believe in, well, maybe it's inbound. I believe in they ask you answer. But the problem is I go to my sales team who are the subject matter experts and I say, hey, help me produce this content or be a subject matter expert, or help me with this video that we're trying to produce. And they say, that's not my thing, or that's I don't have the time for that, or whatever it is, and they say, I'm going to go sell. And so alignment and lack of buy-in of what we want as marketers is still the biggest problem in marketing today. And if you look at all the complaints that we make, bad content, lack of resources, Every dirt road goes back to a lack of buy-in. Mm-hmm. So what I, you know, what I've what I've done now over 250 of these workshop trainings for companies around the world. I've gone in and tried to align sales and leadership to understand this shift of the 70%. And what's crazy, Douglas, is if you ask the majority of salespeople to this day, what percentage of the sale do you dictate versus marketing? They usually say somewhere between 80 and 90%. <laughs> 80 and 90%. I'm sorry. I'm laughing to keep from crying. It's exactly right. And so part of that too, though, Douglas, is because as marketers, we have not done a good enough job in explaining to sales and leadership how this shift has occurred. And that's one thing that every marketer can do a better job of. And, And somebody might say, well, how? Well, this might sound sacrilegious to some, and I really mean it when I say it. The quickest way to do this is by stop talking like a marketer and start talking like a business owner and a sales leader. If you read They Ask You Answer, and I know you get this, but if you read They Ask You Answer, it wasn't actually written in a style for marketers. Mm -hmm. It was written for business owners and sales leaders to get on board with all this marketing stuff that you and I know to be true. And it doesn't sound like a marketing book, which is why it resonates and it continues to do so well. Mm-hmm. And marketers have a image problem. And <laughs> a lot of companies, like you just described, sales leaders, business leaders, they may still think of, rightly or wrongly, as uh, marketers, as arts and crafts party planners who work in the Make It Pretty department. Yeah, yeah, big problem. And they use a lot of acronyms. And, you know, just uh, going back down Marcus Sheridan memory lane here, I can remember uh, a couple of years ago, I saw you speak at Inbound to a big room of partners. And you were saying, you know, if something like if my daughter went into marketing, the first thing I would tell her is to stop sounding like a marketing person. But it's also true because as a lot of listeners will know, I learn really quickly by doing things wrong. And I had, we had been working with some clients, getting them going, and then, you know, sometimes it doesn't go well. And then I saw you give that talk at Inbound a few years ago, and you said the number one reason why this doesn't work is because of a lack of buy-in. And I just thought, oh man, does that hurt to hear? Because that's exactly what happened uh, to us. And then, I don't know if you recall this, but I, I knew that you were training uh, some agencies. You would go to their agency and say, look, guys, let me show you how to help your clients get on board. And I said, Marcus, can you just do that with a group of people from different agencies? And then you finally came back and said, all right, we're going to do it. Richmond, Virginia, yep. be there or be square. I went there and it was enormously helpful. So so thank you for that. Talk more about the problem of getting buy-in and how 
how do you get a company to buy in? And I guess, I guess maybe the answer might be, well, some of them just aren't going to. Because in the book, I think maybe in both editions of the book, you talked about how even the pool industry has had you come and speak to all your competitors, and it's like one one-hundredth of a percent might actually go do what you're suggesting they do, even though you have shown that it works. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's the classic case of you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? Yeah. And so there's a lot of psychology that's involved in buy-in. And of course, this is my thing, right? Again, that's why I wrote the book. It's what I mainly do. And I'm not giving a keynote. I'm, I'm doing some type of alignment uh, workshop, sales, leadership, marketing. Mm-hmm. Now, other than that one big point that we made of we need to stop sounding like marketers. Like if you went online right now and you looked up the definition of content marketing on Wikipedia, to me, it's just a tragedy because you could tell it's written by marketers for marketers. And when we teach what, if somebody says to me, Marcus, what is content marketing, right? My answer to them, because I speak as a business owner or sales leader would, my answer is your ability to be the best and most helpful teacher in the world at what you do. Now, if you say to a business owner, is teaching and solving problems significant to your success? They're going to say, absolutely. That's what we need to do to the marketplace. We need to be able to teach them, solve their problems, and significant. If you say to a business owner, is content marketing important to your success? There's a very good chance they're going to push back or they won't know what it really means. Sounds like another tactic of the week. Yeah, that's exactly right. And they, th- they feel like it's finite. You know, teaching, trust, these things are not going to go away. And so that's you have to frame it in that light. The other thing is, and this is a very practical idea, Douglas, and I've, and I've literally done this before and challenged people to do this, especially many of the ones that have told me, hey, Marcus, I'm, I'm struggling. And this is, I'll tell people, I want you to go to your CEO, to, to your, your business leader, and say to that person, what is my education budget this year? In other words, what are we allotted to do in terms of going to an event, whether it be that inbound, that digital sales and marketing world, whatever it is, okay? And when they get the answer, they tell the leader, the CEO, they say, great. So instead of me going or my team going this year, I want to send you and the sales manager in my place. Now, that gets somebody's attention really fast because the next thing is that's going to happen is the leader of the organization is going to say, well, what do you mean you want me to go? And you're going to have now a conversation. And they're actually going to listen because they're seeing that you're sacrificing your fun, your education, your trip, whatever, so that they can get on board with you. We go to these conferences, Douglas. We get fired up. We have all these takeaways. I put those in quotes. <laughs> it's we an echo back, chamber. That's right. We get back to the office. We tell everybody, and they're looking at us with that sideways head saying, huh, uh, yeah, okay, all right. And they put us back in our little corner called mm-hmm. the marketing department. That's a tragedy. And again, it's got to change. Another thing that I've been doing a lot more of is really merging the two departments, and sometimes we call them revenue teams, which I think is a really great compromise between the two. But the simplest thing that you can do also is you say this. You want to make sure that on every sales meeting or sales training you ever have in your company again, 
that someone from marketing is there as well. But you would be amazed, Douglas, at how often that almost never occurs. I mean, literally, that's like, it's that's an anomaly to see that. And so that's one of the requirements when somebody comes to me and says, hey, Marcus, will you work with our company? I'm like, okay, part of working together is somebody in your marketing department has to be in sales meetings from here to forward because that means you're going to start the alignment process. You're going to know what they need instead of speculating on what they need. And they're going to sense more of a relationship and ultimately a responsibility to help you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, one of the most satisfying things that I've experienced in the last couple of years at work is when I do get to do a workshop, uh, having been trained uh, by you, and when you have a room full of salespeople and you start to see these imaginary light bulbs go off over their heads, yeah. they start to get it and they actually get more excited about it, I think, than the marketing people. Yeah. Well, they do. And, you know, I've had people at, you know, I've, I've got an event called Digital Sales and Marketing World, and it's growing very fast. And do you notice it's actually called Digital Sales and Marketing? right? So it's like for both. It was specifically designed for teams because again, this is our biggest problem. And it's amazing to me, I'll watch salespeople. They've been at an event for three hours and they'll say, I feel like I've learned more in three hours (laughs) than I have in the last year about anything to do with marketing, what they're doing for me, and also what I need to do for them. That's a beautiful thing. It's like, why don't we do that? And so that's also why I designed an event for that because it's to me that's a that's a big deal. But in, and by the way, anybody that's that has questions about that, you can go to digital sales and marketing world.com and see specifically what I'm talking about, but it's designed for teams. And so like I had a team of 22 people sign up um, for this year's event. It's coming up in April, and three quarters of those are salespeople. Now, how much is that company going to change? Over the next year, it's going to be amazing. Douglas. Yeah, more than if they just sent their marketing people. No offense. I mean, 100x, yeah. 100x. And we'll make sure to include a link to that along with several other things in your uh, episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about how Blinkist might be the answer to one of your biggest worries. As I mentioned earlier, the number one worry I hear from listeners is that they feel they aren't reading enough books to keep up and be more successful, but there's only so much time and you need to manage it carefully. And unless you're, say, the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you may not be set up to read a book every week. That's where Blinkist can really be a time saver and a career booster. Blinkist is a smartphone app that takes the key insights from over 3,000 best-selling nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes or less. Instead of having to wade through hundreds of pages of a book, spending hours reading each book like I do every week, you can go through two books in 30 minutes. And the books that are on Blinkist are from top-notch authors, many of whom have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, including Seth Godin, Guy Kawasaki, Robert Cialdini, Philip Kotler, David Merriman Scott, Ann Hanley, Bob Berg, John Jantz, Jonah Berger, Jill Conrath, Jeb Blunt, and many, many more, over 40 authors who have been on the show. 
Blinkist has been selected as one of the best apps by Forbes, the New York Times, and BuzzFeed, amongst others, and it's used by over 10 million people. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast right now, today, to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan when you join. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. And there's no risk because there's a free seven-day trial. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast, and that means you're going to be letting them know that you support the Marketing Book Podcast and that you want that discount. You'll get the free version or 20% off your annual plan. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. It's a very smart investment in your success. And now... Back to the show. So, Marcus, just to, to get down to brass tacks, for again, for folks that may not be familiar with it, talk about, if you could touch on maybe the big five or some of those to explain the idea of answering their questions. In other words, we're, we're not just talking about ourselves, we're answering their questions, including questions that a lot of companies are really very uncomfortable answering. Yeah, so, you know, this started with of course, my swimming pool company. And then when we implemented the same principles to B to B, B to C, service product, local mom and pops, big brands. So I've had this incredible amount of experience integrating the ask you answer to companies at this point. And there's essentially five subjects that have shown time and time again, regardless of industry, that they move the needle more than anything else in terms of traffic leads and sales. And what's funny about it is these five things are what buyers are obsessed with. They're the five things that every buyer wants to understand before they engage a company, before they'll go talk with a a salesperson or before they'll necessarily walk through the doors, whatever that thing is. They want to know these five things, but businesses don't want to talk about these five things. So it creates a paradox of wants. And the big five are anything has to do with how much something costs. Again, this is service or product. Okay, So cost, price, rates, um, et cetera. Okay, so... That's number one. Number two, problems or negatives. In other words, when we get serious about a product or service and we think we want to buy it potentially, we start to say things like, well, what could go wrong? How could this blow up in my face? What are the negatives? What are the issues with it? When does a fiberglass pool not make sense for my house? Right. Or they'll say things like, do fiberglass pools pop out of the ground? Do fiberglass pools crack? Are fiberglass pools ugly? Mm -hmm. All those are negative statements that people ask me for years that no pool guy would have ever addressed because they're like, oh, can't talk about the elephant. No, no. You don't just talk about the elephant. You lean into the freaking elephant, and you show the elephant to everybody. In this way, you can own the conversation because the greatest way in life to resolve a concern is to address it before it becomes a concern. So instead of being reactionary, you're proactive. You get in front of it, right? So that's number two. So we got costs, we got problems. Number three is comparisons. We as buyers are obsessed with comparing things. We can compare brands, we compare methodologies, we compare technologies, you know, we compare products and services. I mean, just we compare all types of stuff because we want to sense whether or not we're choosing the right thing. But yet, most brands, most companies, they don't talk about costs. They don't talk about the negatives. They don't compare their stuff to other stuff, even though they're being asked all the time. I used to be asked all the time. So Marcus, be honest, what's the difference between a concrete and fiberglass pool? Or Marcus, tell me why I should choose fiberglass over concrete. Now, 
the caveat to this, though, Douglas, is you can't be biased when you explain these things, when you teach these things. You've got to call a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. You've got to be willing to say, you know, fiberglass pools aren't for everybody. Here's why. You said it's a powerful thing. They don't expect you to say that. And the book talks about this. It's cool. a disarmament, that's, right? That's exa- exactly right. You disarm the reader or the listener because they are doubtful of your integrity when you are talking about your products or your services. That's just natural. Mm-hmm. And so it's not until you're willing to show the other side of the coin that they say, huh, I did not expect them to say that. And I'll say in a minute, let me, I'm going to give an example of this in a minute. Let me finish the big five, but I want to come back to this because I want to talk about how you need to sound if you're going to be great with content. And a lot of companies miss this. So that was number three comparisons. Number four is reviews. My goodness, we're all obsessed with reviews. Like a guy at an agency who was looking at buying HubSpot and started uh, searching for HubSpot reviews. Or HubSpot negative reviews, or just like all types of reviews and uh, reviews and ratings. Next thing I know, I'm reading a, a website about a guy with a pool company. Yep, that's exactly how we met. That's ah, I'm on to you now. I was <laughs> willing to talk about HubSpot, right? I was willing to talk about it. And then finally, best. So in other words, we love to search for best. When mm-hmm. Best this, best that, best product, best service, best company. And so we, we're, we're all prolific at this. And what's crazy, again, is most companies, especially service based businesses don't like to talk about cost and price. Most don't like to talk about the elephants in the room, the negative questions that they're asked. Most don't like to compare their thing versus these others options in the marketplace. Most don't necessarily talk about reviews. Most don't want to talk about best, worst, all these things. And so I'm going to get back to this coming across as unbiased, okay? Because this is a major deal, and it sometimes takes a while for companies to really catch this vision. So let's say, and, and by the way, as I'm explaining this, if you're listening to this, you can you can put your product or service in the, in the blanks here. It's the same, conceptually, it's the exact same thing. It doesn't change. So let's say I want to talk about the difference between concrete and fiberglass pools. And I was going to do a video or an article on it. It's going to, be, it's going to look and sound the same. So this idea of disarming them so that they lean in versus leaning back and folding their arms saying, I don't trust this guy, this company, what's going to make them lean in is if you if you say something in a way that just surprises them, almost jolts them out of their unbelief, their mistrust, and says, wow, I can't believe they said that. So it might sound something like this. You know, one of the questions we get here all the time at Riverpools is, Marcus, be honest, tell me, why should I choose fiberglass over concrete? The truth is, you shouldn't always choose fiberglass over concrete. In fact, there are times when a concrete pool might be the better option. And so what this article or what this video is going to do, it's going to explain to you honestly and transparently the pros and the cons of both types of pools. And then hopefully by the end, you'll have a great sense as to which is the best choice for you. Now, when I tell that little bit right there to audiences, Douglas... I always follow it with this question. How often do companies speak to you like that, communicate with you like that online? And everybody says the same thing, almost never. <laughs> but it's not hard. In fact, it makes you a true perceived thought leader, a trusted voice. That is the goal. And oftentimes saying what seems contrary is actually the thing that wins the day. Mm-hmm. So, Marcus... This is interesting. You've talked about, you know, costs and problems and comparisons and reviews and bests in class. But you see, our company, our industry is different. Yeah. So this won't work. Yeah. 
Yeah. You, you hear that a lot, don't you? Yeah, and I have to start every single talk with that component right there, Douglas, because as humans, we have an inherent flaw. That is, we truly do believe that we are the exception. <laughs> and what's fascinating, too, is when I speak to audiences done it all over the world, regardless of culture, continent, I've been in multiple, you can divide the audience in two groups. First group says, huh, that's interesting. Maybe we could do that. Maybe we could apply that. Maybe that would work with us. Second group says exactly what you said. Now, you don't understand their pool guy. We're different. <laughs> Our situation is different. You know, I'm a B2B service-based business. Whatever that thing is, all right, that's what we like. Or they say, I'm a, I sell to the government. And, right. Or uh, I'm EDG or whatever that thing And you've got is, right? examples of all of these companies. There's nowhere to hide in your book. In other words, you've got examples of B2B, yep. B2C, B2G yep. Yep. who yep. are using this. The, the thing about this is, is when you boil this all down, what are we really talking about here? We're talking about there's one single emotion that binds every business together that actually unifies us. It uniforms us. It's the emotion that allows somebody to give you their money, regardless of what you sell or how you sell it. Mm-hmm. That emotion is called trust. That is the singular building block of every business. If I came to you, anybody that's listening to this, I said, is trust going to be fundamental to your business 20 years from today? 100% of the people would say yes. Mm-hmm. If I said to you, is Facebook going to be fundamental to your business in 20 years? Many of you would say, I certainly hope not. That's because it's a platform. Mm-hmm. It's going to come because it came. And it's going to go. Well, I'll be glad. But that's how it works with platforms. But when did trust come? It didn't. It's always been. When will it go? Well, always will. And when companies understand principle-based truth, right, now they can make decisions for the long term and they can adjust much easier. That's why it was so easy for me to adjust a video. Because mm-hmm. I said, okay. I'm going to do exactly what I did with video that I did with textual content. And when virtual ever becomes big, right, and regardless of what anybody tells you, it's not going to be big next year, okay? Right. <laughs> right? But when it does, and eventually it will, well, we're going to apply those same principles there. And that's going to be what defines success for businesses going forward is how do I apply principles to the platforms as they arise and as I have to move where I am, digitally speaking, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the 10th edition of your book, and I do hope there are many, many more, and you keep Thank updating you. it. Me too. You're going to have a section on, you know, maybe one on uh, augmented reality or, yeah. or virtual reality, whatever it happens to be, but it's still the same, the same principles. So, Marcus, we've talked about trust and I'm one of these guys that goes around quoting you all the time, so... Thank you for that. I that, hope <laughs> that's okay. And one of them I've heard you say, and just so people will know, you once had a podcast, and I listened to every single episode. Okay, so by now, I think people are starting to think, okay, now I understand why Marcus Sheridan has a restraining order. And, now, and I'm fine with that, Marcus, okay? <laughs> but you have often said, we're all in the trust business, you yeah. just happen to be selling pools or agency services or somebody just happens to be selling roofs or uh, B2B software. So we're all in the trust business and what can we do to increase the trust? But let's talk about another very, very important emotion. And that is 
fear. Fear. And there's a couple things I would like you to talk about. One is, talk about how those companies that are really crushing it as it relates to they ask you answer are obsessed with customer fear, almost like a heat-seeking missile. And then I'm going to ask you to talk about the fear that companies have uh, of not wanting to adopt this. And it has to do with some of the triangles in your book. But first, talk about the importance of zeroing in on customer fear. It's You're never going to run out of uh, ways to find out about that. I love leaning into fear. And it's funny that companies, they, they tend to almost like make it a taboo subject, shy away from it. If you look at the the business models that are changing the world, they are rooted in understanding fear. The simplest is Uber, right? And I know it's an overused example, but not not specific to fear normally, right? Well, yeah, we you see, hear it. I hear it all the time as it relates to the concept of friction, which I think friction, is a, right? That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. But I think it's very closely. Uh, it, it's got to be the same part of the uh, the emotion department. It, it, it is because. Because if, if you look at it, right, what can I do that I can't do specifically with Uber in terms of fear? Well, I can vet the driver. I can't do that with a cab. Mm-hmm. And so one of my fears when I use a cab, because I've had unbelievably bad experiences with cabs that have involved like having to get the police okay, in my life, as somebody that's traveled the world and used cabs for a long time um, – that I want to make sure that this person is honest and others have had good experiences with this individual. I couldn't do that before. I could do that with Uber. I also had to speculate how much I was going to spend. I had to speculate, would they take a credit card or not? Were they going to be dishonest in some way? So then I could say, I don't have the fear of the price. I don't have the fear of the tip. I don't have the fear of all these things. Or do I have to ask, or do you take a credit card? Ridiculous. This is why the cab industry deserves all the troubles that they've had because they didn't care about fear. They didn't care about it. And now they're paying the price. And this is how it works. And so I leaned into the fear of fiberglass pools heavily, right? To what I said earlier, is it going to look cheap? Is it going to crack? Is it going to pop out of the ground? You don't hide from that. Is it too expensive? What? So you want them to meet with you, you give them a price, and all of a sudden they pass out because they see the number because they had no idea? Is that good? (laughs) Right? And so for years, Douglas, I would go into homes when I sold pools. I'd give a quote. It'd be $40,000, $50,000, $60,000, whatever. And the person... So often would say, we thought a pool was $25,000. And of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, no, you ding dong. It's not $25,000. But who was the ding dong? I was the doofus (laughs) because I was allowing ignorance to exist in the marketplace. So when we talk about cost for those that are sitting there saying, I don't get it. And by the way, you got to read the book because you'll get it. And you'll be like, dude. This makes so much sense. We're not saying that you have to slap a price list on your website, but you do have to teach what drives cost up, what drives cost down, why some companies in your industry are expensive, why some companies are cheap. Help me understand 
the marketplace. What am I getting myself into? If you do that, you'll be different than 90% of your competitors. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. In fear, it doesn't stop there. You know, we talk a lot about video. And one of the powerful videos that the new version discusses is landing page videos. Now, a landing page is any page of your site in this context that somebody has to fill out a form. When somebody fills out a form online, there's four major fears that we have as consumers, as buyers, when we fill out forms. Number one, what are you going to do with my information? Privacy. Number two, are you going to email me to death? (laughs) Number three, are you going to call me to death? Number four, so what's going to happen if I fill out this form? Like, what's this process going to look like? So here's what we found. This is how you lean into fear visually. You put a video right next to the form. But the video should have a clear title. You got to think they ask you answer on the title. But if they don't see a title, they're not going to click the video. It's got to have a very clear title. Here's what the title should say. I think they ask you answer. See exactly what will happen if you fill out the form. <laughs> okay. Now, you might say, huh, that sounds so simple. Yes. Yes, it is. And then in the video, you address it. Here's what we found. Consistently, there's roughly an 80% conversion lift (laughs) for that stupid form, all because that person no longer was saying, I don't know what they're going to do with my information. But they watched the dang video. They watched it because you were so forthright in how you said it. See exactly what will happen if you fill out this form. And they said, huh, this is cool. I trust these guys enough. Okay, they're not going to spam me. Okay, good. I'm filling this thing out. Yeah, yeah. And that is just one of many, many examples in the book of all the different types of videos you should have and all the things that you need for your website. And it's not overwhelming, but it's just you're you're pointing out the things that you've seen that are really important. You're presenting just the most important things. But Marcus, we've talked about fear and why that is such a great thing to zero in on, but also I'm still interested in talking about these companies that don't want to do it. And in the book, I found it very interesting where you've got this uh, triangle, yeah, uh, an, an inverted triangle pointing down, and it's got competition, bad fits, and the customer way down at the bottom. Can yeah. you explain that? Because it's a, it's a great way to understand the, the mental block that I think so many people have. Yeah, I call it the triangle of influence. And basically what you do is, yeah, you flip the triangle upside down, almost like it looks like a funnel, right? And you divide into three sections with the top section being the biggest section all the way down. And that biggest section, these sections represent the influence that we allow. In other words, those that influence what we do and do not talk about as businesses. And what's crazy about this is, The number one group that dictates what we do and do not talk about for most businesses on our website is the competition, which is crazy. Now, you mean they don't want to do it because they think the competition is going to find out? Yeah. So there's all these different reasons. First reason they'll say is, well, my competitors don't do this, so why would I? Mm -hmm. Which is like, that might be the dumbest logic I've ever heard in my life, right? Second second reason is, well, if I say these things, my competitors will find out what we think about this. Which, if you think you really have a secret sauce, you are so mistaken. Because we don't. We don't have secret sauces. 
We have Thousand Island dressing and everybody knows it. That's the facts. And so once we get past this idea of – because they can shop us anyway. Anybody that wants to can shop you. And if you are have been in your industry for any period of time, you know all about your competitors. You know what they charge. You know their pros and their cons. This is what we do as businesses, and it's what we should do. So the idea that we should base any decision on them is silly because they don't pay your bills. <laughs> There's only one group that does pay your bills. Of course, that is the actual buyer's marketplace. Now, mm-hmm. the middle of the funnel is the bad fits. And so the bad fits have a tremendous influence for bad on what we do and do not talk about. Let me give you an example of that. So let's say that I was a pool guy, which is true. And let's say that I said, okay, we don't want to tell people that fiberglass pools don't get longer than 40 feet or wider than 16 feet because that might really limit us. Because like, what if somebody wants a 60-foot pool that's a lap pool in their yard? I mean – we want them to call us, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then you can just go make a new mold for a fiberglass woods. <laughs> like, yeah, I can make a 60-footer. Not, right? <laughs> that ain't going down the highway. And so these are the things that – So, oh, another example of the bad fits is when we say, well, if they see what we charge and they see that we're more expensive, they just might not do business with us. No, that's actually bull. Because what charge what causes somebody to not contact you is ignorance. Ignorance is not bliss for buyers. It's no different than if you went uh, if you wanted to go to a new restaurant tonight and you were vetting the restaurant like most people do, you do two things. You look at reviews like Yelp and you look at the menu. Right? It's very common to do before you go to a restaurant to vet it. Now here's the interesting thing. If you go to a restaurant's menu online before you go there, and there is no pricing on the menu, are you still going to go to said restaurant? No. Yeah, we have found that 80% of all people don't go. And it's not because they can't afford it. It's because the moment they left it blank, they planted a seed of doubt. This happened to me literally this week in Las Vegas. I got to the hotel casino where I was speaking at the next day late. I wanted something to eat, but not something really heavy. There's a sushi restaurant right stinking there. Five-minute walk from my daggone hotel room. I'm laying in my bed saying, I'm a little tired, but I'm a little bit hungry. All I really want is sushi. I open it up on Yelp. Reviews are good. Photos look awesome. Go to menu. Look at pricing. Not there. Not Mm. there. And I have this weird thing in my head. And that is, once the roll is more than $17.99, I'm not playing. I'm out. I'm out. And so I'm like, okay, they must have the $20 sushi rolls. I'm out. Now, you might be listening to this and saying, Marcus, you're cheap. I don't know. I don't know if I'm cheap or not. I'm just a consumer, okay? You don't want to be taken advantage of. Yeah, it's a big – I don't want to be. I don't want to get down there, and it's like it's just a few dollars. And Marcus, you could afford it. I know. $20 is nothing to me. Yet notwithstanding, I didn't go because they didn't tell me. And I sat my dag on hotel room, and I went to bed hungry. That is how buyers do it. Now, you might say, yeah, that's a restaurant. My business is different. And once again, to Douglas's point, it means that you're not basing your decision in psychology. If we as buyers just look in the mirror 
and say, what do we expect? What do we want? How do we want to buy? It's really the golden rule, right? If, the, if we just do that, it makes this easy. It's like, as a buyer, would you want to know roughly how much it is and all the cost factors? Of course. As a buyer, would you want to know the negatives, the drawbacks? Would you want them to address it? Of course. Would you want them to compare it with that other stuff? Of course. It's like, this is what we want. This is a no-brainer. There's, there's two major like comments people make about they ask you answer. First comment is, my gosh, it's so simple. Why didn't I not think about it? <laughs> like, right. I, I don't know, but I'm glad you didn't because I did, right? And so, but really, it is so grossly simple. There's nothing complex about it. Nothing. Second thing they always say is, I've read it, and now I feel like you've given me permission to do that, which I've always felt we should be doing. That's the thing, Douglas. It's so common sense because it's intuitive, we have felt it as buyers before. And so our business is not the exception to the way that we ourselves shop and buy and learn. Mm-hmm. So once we get past that and use ourselves as guide, as guides, man, it's really, really fun. It's interesting. At the very end of the book, you talk about how the New York Times wrote about you, and they described this as revolutionary. Hmm. And you must have gotten a 1,000 emails after that. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone said one of those two things. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe how simple it is. And it's yeah. like, wow, you've given me permission to do that. So, Marcus, if, if there's time remaining, I just want to ask you about two other concepts, okay. which I love talking about all the time. I even gave a talk uh, this week. So, you don't know this, but I'm actually bringing you along when I'm doing these, I'm doing these talks. And one is assignment selling. And I, I just mm-hmm. love it. And in the book, you talk about what was it, something about five minutes? Like, how much time do you think someone should spend on your website before they decide to do business with you? And uh, they say, oh, I don't know, maybe a couple pages. Yeah. So, assignment selling is its really amazing. I've now taught it to sales organizations all over the world. And it is the ultimate bonding experience between sales and marketing. And so, it happened. where it happened for me is... In 2013, I was comparing two groups of people on my website. Both had filled out a form and said, I want to get a quote, right? And so one group had bought, one group had not bought. So I said, okay, why did this one group buy after they filled out the form? And why did this other group not buy? Is there a behavior that I can tell, something in the analytics here that would tell me why? And what I kept seeing is the ones that had bought, they averaged 30 or more pages consumed on the website. And I said, oh, wow, wow. What I realized was if somebody read 30 or more pages of the website, they would buy 80% of the time. If they read less than that, the closing rates, assuming we went on a sales appointment, were 25%. So we'd go from a 25 to an 80% closing rate if they read 30 or more pages of the website. So I said, my gosh, I'm going to design an entire sales methodology around integrating content into the sales process so that when you get there, when you meet with the prospect, they're already informed. They're not asking the dumb questions like, oh my goodness, I thought this was $25,000, right? And instead, they're saying, yep, that's what we thought. Or instead of spending so much time teaching them when you are on a sales call, you're spending your time selling. That's what salespeople should be doing. And so once I did it there, I started teaching it to companies, again, all over the world. And what's funny is if you ask most companies, how many pages of your website, how many pieces of your content do you think somebody would be willing to consume? Almost everybody says one or two. One or two pages, which takes less than five minutes to consume. So if you look at it like that, it's like, 
is the process of deciding to do business with you worth more or less than five minutes of my time? And then the answer is, whoa, holy smokes. It's worth way more in most cases, in most cases. So yeah, that's assignment selling. It's amazing. And it's so sad when I see these marketing teams produce good content. And then I, I dig further and you see that the sales team isn't using it at all. Half the time they don't even know that it exists, right? But here's one thing I'll say about that, Douglas, is you can't assume that just because you produce it, that sales will understand how to integrate it in the sales process. Yes. This is something that requires training and practice, role plays, things like that. You, you want to do that. It's development, right? It's yeah. employee development. It's a skill. So don't be assumptive. Because we all know how that ends. Yes, and let me just add to that. You then, before you would go out on an appointment, and this could take all day. You have to drive a couple hours. You had to spend a few hours with him, drive back. So you had to pick these very carefully. You would then say, okay, we're going to come out on Friday. And uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to send you an email. And it's going to have a little 30-page uh, ebook on you know everything you need to know about buying a fiberglass pool, and we're also going to include a link to a video about what the whole yeah. process is. Now, we're going to call you back the day of the appointment just to make sure you've had a chance to uh, read the ebook and watch the video, and if you haven't, no problem. We'll just need to reschedule. That's right. And That's right. then... It sounds audacious, right? It sounds very audacious. Yes. How could you say that? Well, I mean, were there only like a handful of people that said, hell no, get out here? Well, my guess... That's not going to end well anyway. <laughs> They're not going to be a good customer. And that's did. when you started to realize you all were closing at 79, 80% yep. on these uh, visits if they were informed. And as I recall, because I'm a, uh, you know, if, if there's ever a Marcus Sheridan Trivial Pursuit game, you don't want to play <laughs> against me. I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> the, 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 the Trivial Pursuit, the Marcus Sheridan edition, yeah. Hey, I. There was an idea. You knew you were on to something when you got to someone's house and the child, you rang the doorbell, child looked through the curtain and said, mommy, daddy, it's the guy from the video. Yeah. 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 And in fact, in fact, one time I had a kid say, mom, dad, Marcus from the video is here. (laughs) Think about that. They knew my face. They knew my voice. They knew my name. They knew me. And that's what's so powerful about integrating content into the sales process is that it literally forces people down or out of the funnel. But it allows them to do it on their terms. But you can't be passive about it. The mm-hmm. mistake that salespeople make is they, they say things like, so I have this article um, online. It would be if, – so if you could – if you could find a few if you minutes, had time. If you, it'd be great if you could you know, just give it a look-see. Like, come on, guys. We could do better than that. I mean, it's very, very cut and dry. It's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you this and this. You need to review these before our appointment so as to take full advantage of our time together. Will you review this before our appointment on Friday? Yeah, That's we- how you say it. You don't beat around the bush. Yeah, we, and you know, you put it in their, from their perspective, we want this to be a good experience for you. We want to respect your time. That's right. But, That's right. but hold firm. So, Marcus, the, the one other thing I wanted to ask you about was, and I know we're going a little bit long, but a couple of years ago, we got engaged with a new client, and we basically came in and did everything that you're, well, all kinds of things in your book, you know, the workshop, the website, all of that. And... You know, I thought I thought they were completely bought in. We're dealing with the CEO. We got it all set up, and then 
it was like, okay, thanks. We don't do any more. And it, I felt like a, a failure. I still feel bad about that. And then as I'm reading your book, you talk about the something of a pivot that you guys have done, and it makes so much sense. We're going to do it. And that is the power of insourcing. In other words, we look back now, and they were sort of like, yeah, just leave it at the loading dock. No. <laughs> if, if we had been, I guess, better or, or had tried to pitch this as something that they need to do, that we could help them, that we could teach them, it would be much more successful. And you talk about in the book about how for years you, the sales line and impact, you guys did this just like we did. And the results can can be average, but the ones that really succeed are the ones that start doing it themselves. Can you talk about the importance of insourcing? Oh my gracious. I mean, there's so much here, Douglas, but I'll, it goes back to one major principle in psychology, which is unless we help to create it, we don't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And that is true when it comes to content. And I want everybody to listen to this. Can you name a brand that has become the definitive thought leader of their space by having an agency produce their content? I have never seen it happen. Now, I've seen agencies help companies get momentum. I've helped them. I've seen them help with SEO. But in terms of literally become the river pools of your space, mm -hmm. I've never seen it happen unless the company was producing their own content. Because, and there's so many reasons, it never becomes a culture if you outsource it. You never really, really get it. You never do as much of it as you should if you outsource it. You know, our most successful clients, because they ask you answer, is literally working just as well today as it did almost 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago. And it's because all of our clients and, and other agencies, when I say this, don't believe me. All of our clients, they have in-house content writers, which you might say, they must be big companies. No, they're not. And if they're really small, and if you're, by the way, if you're listening to this, you're a small company, that doesn't mean that you can't do this. It just means you have to be like me when I couldn't afford somebody. In 2009, I went from eight to six hours of sleep a night, and I wrote one article a night every single night for two straight years. That's how it happens when you're up against a financial edge. You just do whatever it takes. <laughs> and at risk of losing your house. That's exactly right. So, you know, I don't really have empathy for people that says, say, I don't have the time. I'm like, no, you just don't have enough pain yet, All right? You find the pain, you'll find the time. That's how life works, right? It's not about the time, it's about the priority. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so that's why I look at this and it's amazing the case studies that I've now been able to, we've got, and this sounds like a brag, it's just true. We've got some case studies on my agency's website, Impact BND, so impactbnd.com, bravo, Nancy David. Yeah, and we're going to include a link to that. Yeah, in there's the show these notes. case studies, there's these like uh, real world results or slash case studies. If you watch these case studies, you're like, oh my gosh, these are literally some of the best digital marketing case studies I've ever seen because everybody's talking about actual ROI. They're not talking about, oh yeah, we got a pretty website out of it. They're talking <laughs> like, oh my goodness, we doubled our revenue, we tripled our leads. Here's what's happening today. Here's how the company's changed. We've done it over and over again. B2B, B2C, company, all of them 
produce their own content. I don't write jack for anybody because I don't believe that is the long-term solution for greatness. Mm -hmm. The future of digital is in-house ownership of skills, at least 80% of them. You need to be able to produce 80% of your own content, 80% of your own videos, 80% of your textual content. You need to be able to produce 20% you might outsource to an agency, to a production company, but 80% you got to do in-house because you got to be fast, you got to be nimble, you got to be quick, you got to be real-time. That's the game, and it works when you do it. And it doesn't have to be freaking Hollywood like so many companies think it does have to be. Mm-hmm. You just have to allow the viewer to say, huh, that was so helpful. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and I guess I felt so much... Well, just like the when I said years ago, I was watching you give that talk about why buy-in is so crucial, and yep. I was able to look back and say, "Gosh, that really is." That's why you know we may have failed a couple times with some clients because we just didn't have that buy-in, and you know how that movie ends. And the same experience I had when I read this book, I just thought, you know what, we've been thinking about this. We want to teach a man to fish. We can't fish for them. There's a lot of things we can help get them started with and maybe not run away from them, but it, we want them to be successful, and we can't if it, we're going to do it all for them. And they say, you know, there was a interview I did recently with our mutual friend, uh, Mark Schaefer, about his book, Lessons. And he talked about this uh, one person in the book who said, I love advertising. It was a client, a company. I love advertising. I write a check and something happens. <laughs> and that's that's what I think some of them are yearning for, but it just it just doesn't end well. So I, I felt so much better when I read this and I thought, you know, once again I'm looking to you for for guidance um, as as we move ahead. So Marcus, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? That they literally obsess over the way buyers and that includes themselves, think, and they're willing to act upon it. Amen. Absolutely. What is one thing a listener could do today to put in action one of the many ideas from your book? Just give you one that we haven't talked about. And this is important for any business, and it can be one of the great light bulb moments that you have as a business. I believe every website, every company should have a section on it that says who we are not a good fit for. And I should add that in your book, you've got a chapter on who this book is not for. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's not meant to be a snarky or sarcastic section of your site. It's meant to be very brutally honest. And here's what happens when you do this. The moment you're willing to say what you're not is the moment you become dramatically more attractive to those who you are a good fit for. How many of your competitors right now on their website say who they're not a good fit for? I would say almost 0%. If you do this, you will immediately allow people to say they're different. I trust these guys. Maybe I just want to do business with them. Marcus, you did tease in your book a new book that you're working on, and I want you to talk about that. But also, I'd like to know if there are any recent or upcoming books by others that you recommend or are looking forward to reading. Yeah, so yeah, I do have next year a book coming out called The Visual Sale. And of course, it's all about video. 
And so it's going to be some of what you saw in this revised edition, but it's very specific to integrating video into the sales process. And there's not one out there that exists right now. And so it's going to be a lot of fun to continue to help companies use visual in the sales process. And it's called the visual sale, not the video sale, because visual is the key here, that they can see it. And if they see it, they'll believe it. So as we move forward with not just video, but augmented and VR and all that stuff, all that stuff. And stuff that we don't, it hasn't been invented yet. Yeah, that we can't even, we don't have a word for yet. That we understand the importance of showing it so they feel like they already understand it and know it. And it's a beautiful thing. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be, as always, extremely practical. I know a podcast that you should promote it on. What's that? I, I just know a guy that has a podcast where you should come and be interviewed uh, about this new book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, about the book. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant a video podcast. And yeah, then, we'll and then actually, Marcus, I know you've had a lot of ups and downs in your life, but then at that point, you will become a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club, and then things <laughs> are really going to start happening for you. Things are going to, it's going to be breakthrough city. So, yeah, two books I'd recommend. Two books. If you have a business, you're trying to grow it, and you're looking for something that is just a great framework and guide map that covers um, sales, marketing, leadership, um, HR, all the stuff, Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. Really great book. My agency is using Scaling Up right now, so I'd recommend that one. And one that I'm reading that uh, is tremendous recently, it's one of Brene Brown's recents, uh, Dare to Lead. It's such a beautiful book, especially in a, in a time of volatility and ugliness on all sides. To have somebody speak with reason is really a beautiful thing. We need more leaders that are willing to get past the ugliness and to say things in ways that unify and that galvanize instead of tearing apart. And so, beautiful book by Brene Brown. And there has never been a time where a book like that is is needed. <laughs> Brings people together because it seems yeah. like there's such polarity out there. And I should mention that when you were on before, I asked that same question and you said, yeah, there's a friend of mine named Joey Coleman and he's got a book coming out next year called Never Lose a Customer Again. And I was able to get him, I guess it was about another year later. Uh, what a fantastic book. A great interview and uh, a, a great recommendation. So I, I appreciated that. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to your sites that you've mentioned, your social media, your LinkedIn profile. And I hope that listeners can connect with you and thank you for uh, joining us on this show. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is They Ask, You Answer, A Revolutionary Approach to Inbound Sales, Content Marketing, and Today's Digital Consumer, Revised and Updated Second Edition. The author is Marcus Sheridan. Marcus, thank you very much for coming back to the Marketing Book Podcast. My pleasure, buddy. 
And that closes the book on episode 258 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to the special offer at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Claire Diaz-Ortiz to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her newest book, Social Media Success for Every Brand, The Five Pillars That Turn Posts Into Profits. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Amanda Harrison.